Welcome to the Mainly Moonology podcast. I'm your host, Yasmin Boland, an award-winning astrologer and the Sunday Times best-selling author of books including Moonology and creator of the Moonology Oracle Cards. My intention for this podcast is to help you understand how you can create your dream life using Mainly Moonology, the moon, as your guide. Sure, I'm happy to. What would you like to chant? Can we just actually, you know what I'd love to do? Well, what about we do three on motorinis and, and then a chakra clearing chant, which is like your signature chant? Sure, the Hariyom. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Just to ask Dharma to be with us so we can have good information and all that. Yeah, would you like to do that now before everybody comes on? Yeah, let's do it now. Okay. Okay. Om Namo Narayani Om Namo Narayani Om Namo I'll let you do the hurry om. Hari om nam nam mam bam simram vam yam yam ham shiva om swaha Thanks, Corey. So, um, for anybody who uh, is seeing this who doesn't know me or doesn't know Corey, I'm Yasmin Boland and I'm an ex-journalist with a strong interest in mantra. But more importantly, this is Corey, Dr. Corey. Now, how do you say your surname? Is it Chowdhury? Corey Chowdhury. Corey Chowdhury, who wrote this amazing book, Sound Medicine, that I've been talking about constantly on and off uh, in my daily messages um, for at least the last two or three weeks. Uh, I've actually been listening to it on Audible and reading it. So (laughs) I've kind of been immersed in, in the whole thing. Actually, the first question I'd like to ask you, which has nothing to do with anything, but how come you didn't record it? Uh, because I was in India. I actually love recording my own books, but I couldn't because I was in India and my um, publisher is in New York. Right, right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I suppose that makes sense. But you, you've you got someone, she's Indian, isn't she? Because she knows how to pronounce all the Indian words. Yes, I looked specifically for people that were Indian so that they knew how to actually pronounce, you know, a good quarter of the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, she's very, she's very good. She's very good. Okay, so what we're really here to talk about today to start with is the mantra practice that we've all been doing, um, those of us who go to Sri Shakti Yama's uh, Pedam Ashram in India, uh, but also for readers of mine who I've been chanting with in my daily messages. Uh, we've been doing a chant, which look, my husband very cleverly printed it out backwards, but I don't think it needs to be backwards on uh, <laughs> I think on Zoom we the right way around. I have it both ways. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Okay, so, so thoughtful of him, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. So um, now, this chant for anybody who who's just 
late to the game here. This is a chant we've been chanting for COVID-19. And uh, let's just go through it first, shall we, Corrit, and explain to people, you know, um, Om Cream. Om Cream is actually the Bija mantra for Kali. And so the Bija mantra is the seed mantra, which is the most basic vibration that captures the frequency of the entire mantra. Wow. Okay. So cream captures the whole thing. Cream captures the energy of Kali in particular. So when you say cream, when you're chanting cream, you're invoking in that one syllable, the energy of Kali. Right. Right. Which we will talk about in a minute. The energy of Kali, because it's kind of an unusual energy. It is. I was so excited that you wanted to talk about it because it is an unusual energy. Yeah, it is. Okay, <laughs> then we have Maha Kali. Now, I thought that Maha actually meant mother, but I, apparently it means great. Or what does it mean? It, it, it does mean great, but when you're putting it in front of, of Kali, the assumption is um, great mother. So when you say Maha Kali, you're saying great mother Kali. Okay. Now, sarva, we know, means all. Rogam, there's been a bit of discussion about. Some, sometimes it means disease. Sometimes it means negativity. Does it mean, you know, what does it mean exactly? It doesn't mean disease, just disease, does it? it the reason why it means both is just like many Sanskrit terms, they have different layers of meaning. And so if you look at the source of disease, the source of all disease comes from negativity, right? And so when you're doing a mantra for removing all negativity, you're doing a mantra for removing all disease, mental as well as physical. So that's why it can be interpreted as both. So what I've wondered as we've been chanting it um, is, you know, does that include the negativity like, you know, anger or jealousy or resentment or fear? Or is that going to help get rid of fear as well? Absolutely. And it's something I wanted to talk about later when we speak about Kali in general and the impact that that energy has on fear. But the whole point of this mantra is for removing the negativity in your mind as well as in your body. For people who don't know, Kulrit is a doctor and actually a neurologist. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, she's, she's not, um, you know, like me, I'm an ex-journalist. I'm interested in mantra. She actually comes from a, a, a place of, you know, high education here, as well as understanding, you know, the East and the West. So, um, nasty, nasty. Now, Again, this has had a bit of, is it this, is it that? Initially, we were told it's destroy, destroy. Then I was told it's go away, go away. What's your take on this, since you seem to know all about it? The, the direct translation that we were given um, at the center by Amma is go away, go away. But I think, again, when you're, when you're translating, and much of this mantra is actually in, in Tamil, which is a language that is older than Sanskrit, but when you are translating these ancient languages, um, you have to always keep in mind that there's multiple levels of meaning. And so nasi nasi can be interpreted as, you know, go away, go away. But when you are applying it to removing negativity, 
you can also um, interpret as the stronger meaning of destroy all negativity. So it's really important when you're looking at this mantra that, you know, the interpretation or the application of the word destroy here is destruction of negativity. So it's actually a very positive mantra, if that makes sense, um, that even though you're saying destroy, you're saying destroy negativity. So the, you know, it can be interpreted as both go away or destroy, depending on what you apply, um, you know, nasi to. Sure. Now, another thing I was told, but this was like fourth hand, it was Amma said this to someone <laughs> and our friend, our mutual friend, Natalie, I think, was, was listening or someone was listening and they, whoever it was, it may not have been Natalie, actually. Sorry, Natalie. It may have been someone else. I don't remember. But somebody else put it on the WhatsApp group and I read it. So that's like fourth-hand information here. But I was, this sort of Chinese whispers that came down was that na means soul and si means fire. And, in fact, it's sort of like use the fire of our soul to destroy all the negativity. Is there truth in this this interpretation? Have you heard that? There's, there's so there's partial truth in that. So these um, bija mantras, na and si, are both bija mantras. So again, um, seed mantras, and na is actually the bija mantra for earth, um, and si is the bija mantra for fire. And so we're referring now to the theory in the Vedas and in Siddha medicine that all of creation is based on these five elements. And so what you're putting together is the bija mantras of earth and fire. And because the body is predominantly earth, and since we're trying to burn up, you could say, this negativity and burn up literally a virus that is heat sensitive. <laughs> um, so you're using those particular elements to get rid of you know, that effect. So nasi in this particular case, can be interpreted as, you know, um, removing some physical element that is negative by the use of fire. And that's why it's very, very difficult to translate, you know, these ancient Tamil mantras and ancient Sanskrit mantras just by word for word or line for line. You have to look at the entire mantra and say, oh, in this case, these sounds are being used to invoke this particular energy. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. There's so many questions coming up in my mind as we speak, but let me get try and get through them. So <laughs> we're saying that Na and Si are also beige mantras. Yes. Yeah, so so I, I actually thought when we did, before we started really, we did the, the Hurry On Nam Lam, you know, the chakra clearing mantra that you mm -hmm. have recorded, which is on iTunes for anybody who wants it. It's beautiful. Um, so that, I thought that must be all the beige sounds, and obviously not. Oh, no, no. So there, <laughs> there's lots and lots of bija mantras. And most of the longer mantras are actually just collections of bija mantras. So even when you're doing a longer mantra, it holds within it the bija mantras. There's many, many, many different types of bija mantras. And when you combine them in different ways, you're creating uh, different energies. Look at it as kind of the alphabet you know, that you have different letters and then as you start to bring them together, you're creating a different sentence, a different phrase to elicit a different type of um, communication. So it's very, very similar with 
with mantras so and the sounds behind them the bija mantras all right so now just to be clear this is tamil this is so there's a lot of overlap between tamil and sanskrit but the sarva rogam nasi nasi is a classic tamil mantra and that doesn't mean that you can't hear some of the same sounds in sanskrit like um om krim mahakali that is also represented in um sanskrit and so because these languages do have you know somewhat of a connection you'll see some overlap but this is more of a traditional tamil mantra correct do you know i mean approximately how many bija mantras there are are there like 10 20 50 100 hundreds no it's a great question and um I I don't because you know and I don't know if the work has actually been done but keep in mind many of these bija mantras are hidden um they are not shared and so it would be also very difficult to do a formal study because even nasi for example is not typically um a bija mantra or the combination of bija, bija mantra that is shared I'm a, you know gave this specifically because of this time but it's hard to do a study of bija mantras cuz even though you can look at the ones that are written there are so many that are unwritten wow okay ama has given us this mantra for the coronavirus is it purely for the coronavirus or can we use it in the future absolutely no it's i'm so happy that you brought this up so uh, you know people have asked me is this a coronavirus mantra and i say no <laughs> it's it's a mantra for removing negativity mantras have so many multiple purposes and that's one of the beauties of mantras and i'm i happen to bring this particular very very powerful mantra out at the time that the coronavirus was coming out and so we were given it at the holistic center um you know in india right when china was starting to experience it and so it happens to be a mantra that can address the coronavirus but i have really fallen in love with this um mantra and i think we will probably continue to use it at the holistic center because we have really noticed that since we started using it there it has purified the environment in many many different ways you know just in terms of the way that people were thinking um you know some of the um administrative things that we all st- struggle with when we're creating a business i've just noticed that we're coming together with a joint purpose for creating greater positivity as a staff there ever since we started using this mantra so for us unless we're told otherwise this will probably be one of the mantras that we do in our sound baths at the uh, holistic center on a regular basis thanks so did it, this mantra exist before or did ama kind of make it put it together for the outbreak so as far as i know these these mantras exist um like when we say to create a mantra it, it almost doesn't make sense because when you look at what mantras are they're the fundamental reverberations of creation and so we can certainly select them and pull them out at given times but these were the sounds or vibrations that were created at the time that all of life was created and so there's times when different mantras are given or rediscovered but when we say have they actually been created um the 
you know, they may be reemerging, but the actual creation of the vibration was at the time that life itself was created because, you know, these vibrations all are impacting the entire physical world and they all impact the, the five elements. And so they were part of just the initial, you can say, conception of life. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that totally, I'm sorry, just looking for a pen so I can write down things as they occur to me. Yeah, no, that totally <laughs> makes sense. And I know you were saying, uh, so one thing I, I, I wonder about is, so we're saying, for example, nasi, nasi means go away or destroy or whatever, you know, we were, we're going to come to on that really go away. But so, and you're saying it's in Tamil. So is it a word that people use in the street, you know, like if they didn't like someone, nasi, nasi, is, that, is it a Tamil word like That's that? a really great question. Um, I'm not fluent enough in Tamil to say that yeah. I'm using it, but I can tell you that when we first introduced it, um, you know, several of the staff members weren't sure exactly what it meant. And so, and, and others were. So it's not something that I believe is used in common speech. Um, right. like it's not conversational, right. just like um, Sarvarogam is not really conversational speech. Um, right. But it's something that, you know, I think that the parts of the Tamil population, especially parts that do have a connection you know, to spiritual practice have probably heard. And keep in mind that they're, they're sounds. And so you'll see these sounds over and over and over in the Tamil vocabulary. Yeah. I mean, it's quite mysterious, isn't it? It's quite unfathomable in a way trying to understand this, you know, without probably 20 years of study kind of thing. And um, beyond the 20 years of, of study, I mean, just like we're seeing with, you know, the information that's coming out of the Siddha records, as soon as you start to understand one part, it opens an entirely yeah. new platform to, yeah. you know, a hundred more questions. That's exactly how I feel right now. So I actually wanted to ask you, there's two things I want to ask you, which I haven't put on my list of questions, so I'll get them quickly. <laughs> but I mean, these Siddhas, like it's only in reading your book, Sound Medicine, everybody. It's a really good book. Um, it's only in reading that book that I, I've heard of, you know, Siddha, Siddha Medicine, Siddha, the Siddhas. I've heard of it, but I never realised they were, like, amazing. Like, what can, you, what can you tell us about them in terms of how they relate to mantra? And who were they? And then they were how long ago? Was it 8,000 years ago? Well, it's, it's so hard to talk about the Siddhas, and I talk about this in the book because once you know an individual actually enters into that siddha state uh they're no longer really bound by time or space and it makes it unbelievably difficult now to explain who they were when they're not bound by the same kind of laws of nature that we consider as as you know uh true and valid and factual um and just to give an example there's one uh siddha master bogar who um, you know lived in South India, but then later on, you know, um, he describes leaving his body that he had in South India and taking on another form in China, and then he describes his you know few hundred years in China in his writings later on. So you're not talking about normal human lifespans, and so it's really really difficult to say, oh, and this is when they existed. I can tell you the way that I have come to know them. They are a lineage of knowledge that I think really started like 
pretty much at the beginning of whenever knowledge began being passed on. And they're just essentially just one with, with nature. They have kind of transcended the typical boundaries that we have with life. And so when they came to Tamil Nadu, then we kind of um, gave them this label of the Siddha lineage, but you can find very, very similar groups and possibly even the same groups in different parts of the world. And everything that they did, um, it's on a quantum level, you know, or even on a sub, you know, it's on a subatomic and quantum level. So their medical system was on a quantum level. And when we start talking about things on a quantum level, we're really starting to look at how things function on a vibrational level. And so when you say, what was their relationship to mantra? Um, they were able to perceive them and they were able to use them. They were able to create life and physical manifestations through the use of sound. And so sound, you know, I'm trying to think of an equivalent that we have. I mean, sound to them was, you know, how they manifested physical creation and anything within the mental realm. So sound to them was, was the word. Um, yes, it's exactly right. And if you look at most ancient, you know, spiritual traditions, they talk about the word or vibration. And so you can say they, they understood the source of life and they understood how to use the source of life. Um, but the one thing I've learned about the Siddhas is they only want to be known about when they want to be known about. Um, I mean, you can only know them when they really want, like, you know, the world to find out about them. Otherwise, they're extremely secretive. And this seems to be a time that they are bringing out the knowledge once again. Yeah. And were they all males, you know? No, they weren't. Actually, there were female um, siddhas. And again, it's it's very hard to keep any kind of chronological history of who were the siddhas because they were by nature, um, you know, typically separated away from society. And so to take like a running list of, okay, who are who were all the siddhas on the planet at this time is just very difficult. But there are certain groups of siddhas that were well studied, especially in Tamil Nadu, and among them there were women. Somebody has to make a film. That would be such a great movie to go it's into that. Funny that you said that because that is in the works, and I'll leave it at that because I don't steal, I don't want to steal the thunder of the people involved. But that okay. is in the works. <laughs> yeah, it would be a great movie, a fantastic film. So one other question that I just like to ask you, Corey, because I have been I've heard this like maybe five times in the last thirty six hours or something. This fact that we have all the elements in us, so fire, earth, air, water, and ether, correct? Mm -hmm. They're the five. And that we have them in our body and that we have them in our hand and our hand represents them and that's where the mudras come from and so on. Why do you think it's so important that we know about these five elements making us up and does that have anything to do with mantra as well? Just because it keeps coming up. Well, it's... You know, to answer the question, it depends on if you think it's important to understand what the material of the universe and what you are made up of. Um, yeah. One of the great kind of aha moments that I had when I came into Ayurvedic medicine was all of my idiosyncrasies and all of my imbalances suddenly made sense. And it suddenly made sense why, for me, you know, eating a salad um, was not going to be the way that I would build a healthy diet. 
And so if, if you if you want to have kind of a manual to how to run this body and you know how to run this mind, then it's extremely important because not all recommendations are the same depending on what your buildup is of the different elements. And it also helps you to understand how the outside environment impacts you. Um, I mean, just a really simple example is, you know, in India being as warm as it was, I had a completely different kind of physical response to the environment. And so I was taking different herbs, eating different foods. And now here in San Diego, it's been very rainy, much colder. And so I've had to change my diet completely. And if I was eating what I was eating, some of the things that I was doing in India, it would, it would result in an imbalance now. So it's, it's just a, it's a blueprint for you understanding how to feed yourself, understanding what are the things that can create things like depression or anxiety. And people are usually really surprised that, you know, it's the snack that they're having is having a direct impact on their mind, but it's because of the way it's upsetting, you know, one of the elements in their body. Right. And, and from what I understand from your book, um, it's the the balance of the elements that that then contributes to the doshas. Exactly, the different doshas are made up of the five elements, and it's not that you're trying to have equal parts of the five elements. It's that you're trying to create balance for what is appropriate for you, for what is unique for you. And so, yeah. the second part of your question, you said, well, what does that have to do with mantras? Um, well, like the chakra meditation that you know Amma gave, which I um, talk about in the book, uh, that is a mantra for balancing all five elements. Sound is an extremely profound way of balancing all five, five elements. And it's a very affordable way to balance all yeah. five elements. And True. even since I've been here, I've noticed um, how much more reliant I've been on the chakra mantra simply because this particular weather really throws me off much more than the warm weather in India. So I think it's when you're when you're out of balance, you really appreciate the impact of the mantras for bringing you back into balance. Yeah. So um, two things. So first of all, the chakra balancing chant, as as we call it, I think. So that's kind of like a tridosha mantra, is it? Yeah, it's a great way to describe it. It's it's a it's a mantra. For, you know, I, I do two mantras every single day. Um, I mean, that's my kind of baseline. And the chakra mantra is one that I do every single day for 20 minutes because it just moves all of the energy. It's just any place that is blocked. I look at it as kind of um, like it's yoga for both the body and the mind. And it's like, it's just it's stretching and preparing the body for whatever other mantra you want to do. Because when you have a block and you know, there's some kind of imbalance in the elements when you're doing kind of your devotional practice or your other mantra, you'll notice that you're not going as deeply with it. So that's just my go-to. That's like, for me, like taking a shower is doing that chakra mantra because I think it's just so profound. And the second one I do is more of my spiritual practice. And is, is that, a, will you share, is that Om Namo Narayani or is it something yeah, else? It's, it's Om Namo Narayani. And I, I actually grew up doing um, transcendental meditation. So I was given a specific Bija mantra and I shifted over to the Om Namo Narayani mantra because when you have a spiritual teacher, um, and for those of um, you know us who are on this, um, on this uh, webinar that know of Amma, when you have a spiritual teacher that gives you a mantra, it's already charged. It's, it's already, it's more powerful 
than if somebody just randomly gives you, you know, a, a, a yeah. bija mantra. And so because of the charge that's been placed behind it, I have found that my entire mantra practice just, it, it accelerated almost overnight once I started using that. And honestly, once I coupled it to the chakra mantra, I just, I, I felt everything really opening up. So those are the two that are my, my go-to mantras. And right. then in cases like this, like when we have something like a pandemic, then you know you can use a mantra for that particular situation or if you're starting a business and you want to remove obstacles, you can use a mantra for that. Or if you want to bring in more wealth, like under specific circumstances, you can then choose a mantra for a short period of time. But it's really important to have a mantra practice with the regular use of a mantra because you'll go deeper and deeper and deeper into those mantras that you're doing on a regular basis over years. So, Corey, will you tell us about your your daily routine in as much as how, you know, when you do your mantras? And, and also this thing of, I know Jesse from Pedum has said to me a few times, you must only do one at a time, or it sounds like you can do two at a time. But, you know, like, how do you then, what happens if you're doing this Kali mantra and you're doing your chakra balancing, you're doing your Omnimonarayanis? How does all that work on a really practical level? Um, so... And, and I had actually asked specifically, um, you know, I'm about this question and she also just, you know, ag agreed that doing the chakra mantra on a regular basis and doing Om Namo Narayani is perfectly okay. But to Jesse's point, he's correct in that you should have a mantra practice with a particular mantra. And for me, these have really become two parts of, of the same experience now. Um, but it's the whole point is you should have a particular practice. And so my like everyday routine, which, you know, granted is a little unusual just because I, I work at the um, holistic center, but my home routine is, you know, pretty much um, as soon as I wake up in the morning, um, the first thing that I do is my mantra practice. And so I do the, I do pranayama, which is, you know, the breathing exercise. I do alternate nostril breathing for five minutes. And Are you then still in your PJs at this point? I am. And, you know, I realized that um, that is not the typical recommendation. The typical recommendation is that you should get out of bed, go take your shower, brush your teeth. And what I have found, and, you know, again, people have to find what is good for their routine. This is just what has happened for me, is yeah. that the second that I get up and start moving around, something else will occupy my mind and my time. And yeah. so I, you know, ideally it's, you know, go take your shower, then, you know, do your yoga asanas, then do your pranayama. It just does not work for me for how busy my life has become. Because if my son hears me walking around in the house, you know, and he's up, like there, there goes my mantra practice. So yeah. even though this is not what is typically prescribed, this is how I do it. I wake up, I'm completely unkempt, I'm in my pajamas. And I know that if I do my mantra practice right then and there, I will get it in 100% of the time. So that is just what has worked for me. For people who have a more flexible schedule, I highly recommend that you do it, you know, kind of the more prescripted way. Um, but then I'll do my pranayama for five minutes and then I do 20 minutes of the chakra mantra. And like I said, by the time I'm done with that chakra mantra, I just feel so open and I feel you know, literally like my mind and body just feels fertile to plant the next sound. And then that's when I do my Om Namo Narayani for um, 30 minutes. 
And so that is, you know, um, almost an hour routine in the morning, but when on the days that I don't do that, which is hardly, hardly, hardly ever, it's usually if I'm traveling, but if there's some strange thing that happens where I don't get to it, I can guarantee that I'm going to lose that hour later on in the day to some mishap happening or some wasted energy or, you know, that I, that investment in the morning always saves me more time. So right. that, that for me is just, I, I do not miss it. And then I go about with getting up, getting dressed, you know, taking my shower. Um, but that, that's the only way that for me right now in my life as a mom, as a wife, you know, as a physician, as the unit head of the center, that is how I ensure that I get my mantra practice in. And then, you know, right now, because we're doing the group chanting, um, then at 10 a.m. usually, although not today, because it was the only time I had available today to be able to talk to you. But usually 10 a.m. I get on with everybody. and We do the Kali mantra, you know, um, for 30 minutes. But at the center, we will we will also do that as a group. So I get the opportunity through work to also, you know, do that mantra with the staff all together. Hey there, it's Yasmin's podcast producer Aileen hopping on to tell you about a wonderful initiative we have going on from September to November. During these three months, we'll be donating 25% of profits from all the charts our Sun, Moon, and Stars members buy to Green Shakti. Green Shakti is a marvelous environmental charity at the ashram that Yasmin goes to in India. Every month, our Sun, Moon, and Stars members are offered a horoscope chart at a reduced rate. And from September to November, 25% of any money earned will go towards helping make India a greener and healthier place. It's Yasmin's way of thanking Green Shakti and her teacher Narayani Amal. If you're not a member of the Sun, Moon, and Stars but would like to be, to get these reduced rate charts while helping a good cause and tons more, go to moonmessages.com slash SMS1. That's moonmessages.com slash SMS1. Right. Okay. Interesting. Because um, I was given one mantra by Amma that I... I'm never quite sure if I'm allowed allowed or should do it, you know, because I'm also doing another mantra or this mantra. So it's interesting what you said, what you're saying is you've basically made the chakra mantra and the Omarodaranis are kind of a one thing and you just stick with those and now the Kali mantra on top briefly, at least for as long as we're doing it during this cycle. Yeah, and I, and I think people do have to figure out what really works for them. Like that combination for me, has I mean it's just it's worked um you know Omnu Onorani has worked ever since I was introduced to it but yeah. adding chakra mantra for me is just work I I just noticed I don't have to be on as many herbs I I I, ha I have I don't have to do as much in the rest of my life yeah I'm doing that combination and do you have your tridosha tea in the morning your prime tea from I your do. first book <laughs> So now that I'm in uh, California and I don't have staff to make it for me. So um, as soon as I'm done, that's the first thing that I make. The first thing that goes on the stove is the water for my, for the prime tea. Because <laughs> um, I sip that all throughout the day. Yeah, I'm actually quite a fan. I've read it's, all your books, I think. <laughs> no, it's just, it's amazing. I can, again, I feel the difference when I'm not doing it. In India, it's a lot easier because I just come to the center and it's already made. <laughs> Let's tell people what's in there. There, So there you boil up some water and it's half a teaspoon of cumin seeds, half a teaspoon of coriander seeds, and half a teaspoon of fennel seeds. Mm -hmm. Boil for 10 minutes. Now, my husband, 
husband and I are always wondering, is that more powerful than steeping it overnight in a thermos, which is the best method? Um, so when I was very, very busy, when my mornings were really busy, I used to actually put the seeds in a thermos and put hot water and I had this fantastic thermos that stayed hot for 24 hours. And that's how I would make it um, in about four cups of water. Now that I'm here and I have the time, I make it, you know, in, in the mornings um, just by boiling it on the stovetop. But really, either way is, is perfectly either fine. Way is fine. And if you want to make it stronger, like now I use a teaspoon. I don't use just a half a teaspoon, but you can also go okay. up to a teaspoon. Right. Okay. So now let's talk about what I kind of think is almost the elephant in the room with the Kali mantra. The, um, Jagatambe touched on it the other night when she spoke about mantras on one of these Zooms for everybody. And she was saying that some people had had kind of feelings about the mantra that's you know, it's quite a harsh thing. I think it's because we were told it means destroy, plus we've got the Kali energy. I mean, maybe we need to talk about Kali first, but, I mean, I'm kind of reminded of one of the most recent times I was in India uh, when Amma was preparing, I think, for the new Lakshmi temple it must have been, and was chanting and chanting and chanting this beautiful, gentle peaceful uplifting warm and fuzzy lakshmi mantra and now we've got this one which is like Rrr! so and i know i'm not the only one who feels like this and i've i've had i won't say anyone's names but i've had conversations with people who've been like oh, i find it so intense this thing you know so what about this i mean that's been quite a bit of a struggle for me part of me is like can't we just do a healing mantra instead of this, go away? <laughs> I think you have to choose the mantra for the event. And so I think it's very difficult to try to give any kind of a general prescription for how somebody's going to experience a mantra because, again, your individual energies are interacting with the energies of the mantra. So there's no way to predict what it's going to look like. But what I can offer is just my own personal experiences with Kali and how they've changed over time. And I want to let you know that my initial response to Kali was very much the same of like, oh, do we really yeah. want to go in there? Because it's a very um, protective, it's a very strong energy. It's not an energy you tiptoe around. And I think the first time I was really exposed to that Kali energy was by going to a Kali temple, beautiful Kali temple in Southern California, um, and I, you know, almost a decade ago, and it was so intense and the changes that started happening in my life were so intense. And honestly, they were too fast for me. And I said, I can't do this. This is just too fast. Even though I knew all of the changes that were being made were necessary, they were just too intense for me to kind of take on with the normal rhythm of my life. Now, fast forward to moving, you know, to India and our center there is so unusual because normally like an Ayurvedic center would have a Dhanvantri temple. That's the um, energy associated with Ayurveda or a Siddha center would have like a Shiva temple. And we are built next to a Kali temple. And it's just such a completely different energy. And I think this has been the general response of all of our guests that have come, and this was certainly the response that I felt when we moved there, was there's just such an intensity and that things happen very, very fast. They and do. Can I just ask, where's the Kali Temple at Pedum? 
it's very, very close to where the center is. It's not even a place that you're normally allowed to um, go to, or I should say it's not publicly advertised to go to, but it's it's just a few minutes walk um, from- Is it on Sri Kurum land or is it? It's on Sri Kurum land where the, where the, the holistic center is built. So it's right. within the, um, uh, and when we recommend for people to go and, and visit it, although it's not necessary, it's very much the energy comes to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, so what we see with that energy is just rapid transformation. It's very, very rapid transformation. And I'll be honest, now that I've been soaking in that energy, and especially since we have done the Kali Mantra, since um, the, you know, the events start, first started happening in China, my relationship to the energy that Kali energy has completely changed. I'm not afraid of it. It no longer feels too intense. It actually feels very nurturing and loving and so ridiculously protective that somebody had asked me because I'm separated from my family right now. You know, my boys are in India and um, you know, with all of the uncertainty, they said, you know, aren't you, aren't you afraid? And I said, no, I, I'm actually even having a hard time resonating with the idea of fear. And I, I yeah, did that I to, to this mantra, having done it now for, you know, so many months. So I think just like with every mantra, your relationship really changes depending on where you are in life. Yeah. And so when you're talking about something like a pandemic, you, you can't bring in something soft and soothing. This <laughs> is a time for rapid transformation for the entire planet. It's a time yeah. for rapid transformation, you know, for us individually. So it's a completely appropriate, um, you know, mantra for what we're going through right now. And it's yeah. a mantra we have just fallen in love with it. It's an energy I have absolutely fallen in love with. I've never felt so safe and so secure and so just taken care of in my entire life. And I wanted to share just my, my husband's experience with the Kali energy because I thought it was so beautiful. Mine has been a very, very maternal experience with it. And his has been one of just such total expansiveness. And the way he described it was Kali being like the night sky, that even when you have light, it has to travel at a certain speed and it only goes for so, so far. And the way he described Kali was, it just encompasses everything. And um, I said, you know, I'm feeling the emotional equivalent of that 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 which encompasses everything is now protecting me. So yeah. I, I completely agree to where I was 10 years ago, was not ready for this energy compared to now. I'm just kind of like, hey, bring, bring it on. I, I want the intensity. I want the intense transformation now in life. Yeah, I actually feel like since I, you know, since I almost wrote to Amma about a week ago to say, can't we do a healing mantra now, Alma? Because this is like getting too much. I literally almost wrote to Alma and I thought, Yasmin, just stop. So I didn't. So I've just gone through it and I feel like I've come out the other side of it, which is really interesting. But also because um, you're saying that one's relationship with a mantra can evolve. And I do feel quite differently about it today than I did, say, just a week ago when I was really like, Oh, it's so, you know, it's so, I don't know, like I, I actually lost my temper a couple of times and I don't know if that was to do with just cabin fever of being in lockdown, but I kept thinking it's that Carly mantra. It's like making me into Carly or something. But, but you, now you, I, you, I feel like I've come through that somehow. If it's possible to come through something like that in a week, 
No, it is. And that's what you're speaking to. And you're saying it in such a beautiful and authentic way. Of, you're, you're speaking to the capacity of mantras to transform. And I think it's absolutely okay to have those strong reactions to a mantra and to say like, mantra, I don't like what you're doing right now. Because, it, you know, I, I feel that way about certain herbs that I take that I know are changing me. I feel that way, you know, when you're involved in any type of you know, healing where you can feel the transitions where you go, I don't really want to do this. You know, I don't want to have to change like this. You know, it feels hard. And so mantras are another tool set that create the same outcome. And I think it's beautiful that you're being so honest and that other people are being so honest to say, hey, this is intense. And like, holy smokes, this is nothing like those gentle healing mantras. It's it's not. Um, But that is the power of mantra. Mm, Yeah, it's amazing. So for anyone who's watching who doesn't know, I'm not sure if I've mentioned it clearly enough, but Cool Read is actually trained in Eastern and Western medicine, you could say, in Ayurvedic and Western medicine, allopathic medicine. So uh, like one thing in the book, it sort of goes a little bit over my head at times because you get into these quite, you know, (laughs) intense medical studies, which are, you know, they're pretty intense. You're talking about things on a cellular level. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing I was interested to know is because Anna has always said that if we do a mantra, the ultimate aim is to do it silently um, as opposed to intoning it with our voices. And, of course, in all the groups that we're doing, we're doing it out loud. Um, I mean, I don't even, I don't, I've got a few questions around it. One is, you know, on our groups, is it okay? Well, we're doing it as a group intention, so I understand that's why we're doing it out loud. Does it still, because in your book you're talking about how mantras can actually affect us on a cellular level and kind of bring things like that it could be out of balance on a cellular level back into balance. Can you just speak about that a little bit with your experience as a, as a doctor, basically? Yeah, absolutely. So um, do you mind if I just split that up into two questions and if I yeah. take on the, the biology of sound first, because there is a biology. And one thing I've really taken for granted, and maybe other people feel the same way, is when Amma is feeding us, literally just spoon feeding us this information, uh, it sounds so simple that, oh, you do a mantra, you know, and and Amma has said this many times, it changes every cell in your body. And I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds great. The science behind it is actually so complex um, you know, you have to understand some of the fundamental principles of quantum physics and then understand some of the biological mechanisms that we're only now beginning to discover. Wow. So even though it sounds so simple, when you actually start to break down, uh, so wait, how is this actually happening? It's such an elegant system. And so without going, you know, so deeply into the quantum physics part, I'm just going to say that we, we yeah. are vibration. Sorry. And- I said, we are vibration. All of us are vibration. We're vibrational beings. The world, all of creation is vibrational uh, in nature. And sound isn't just what you hear. Sound is really just the vibrational ocean that is encompassing all of that. And we are not just what we hear. No, because if we say that sound is just what we hear, then we would have to say that what what a dog hears that we can't hear isn't sound. Does that make sense? So... Mm -hmm. We were built to pick up certain frequencies. That does not mean that other frequencies don't exist. So what we call sound are the frequencies that we're able to translate 
through our inner ear that eventually creates a nerve impulse that our brain picks up and says, oh, I hear that. We'll call that sound. But that is existing even when you can't hear it. But here's the beautiful thing. Your cells hear the vibrations Mm -hmm. that you cannot hear with your ears. They still hear them. And there's actually structures on the cells called primary cilii that pick up those vibrations and your cells respond to that. They actually change their formation, change their biochemistry in response to them. So would we say then that our cells have ears? You know, are we saying that they are hearing other vibrations? I mean, you see how the terminology gets a little bit kind of abstract when you start accepting that we actually pick up vibrations in many different ways. Noise is one of them, but we we actually transform on a cellular level in response to sound. So now the second part that you asked is, you know, to chant out loud or um, silently. Again, um, mantras have different purposes. So it depends on why you're doing it. When you're trying to activate something, like when you're trying to turn water into something that is healing, then you chant out loud so that the water molecules actually pick up that vibration. And so when you are chanting as a group, because you're trying to create a group coherence, a group intention, that becomes easier to do if you're all chanting together out loud. It's easier to connect. Um, not that people can't meditate in silence, but I think you know, for when you're when you're when you're doing something as a sankalpa, as an intention for the world, there's um, a power to bringing people together. And so then you would do it out loud. Now on a on a daily practice, absolutely doing it internally, quietly in your mind is more powerful when you want that influence to be more internal. So when you're in your PJs doing it every morning, are you singing it out loud or is it silent? No, it's absolutely silent for a lot of different reasons. Um, One, because it's more powerful, but also my husband and I are doing it at the same time and we're not always doing the same, you know, mantra. So there's a practical part of it. But no, as soon as I wake up, I do it silently. And because keep this in mind too. What is the ultimate purpose of a mantra? What is the ultimate goal of a mantra? Uh, to bring balance? I'm not really sure. That's one of the goals, but the ultimate goal of the mantra is to actually transcend sound and bring you into silence. So that's difficult to fulfill the ultimate goal of a mantra, to transcend everything that we know as thought, which is, you know, thoughts also occur as sound in your head. But ultimately, you're trying to hit to that transcendental place of silence. So that's hard to do if you're chanting it out loud. Because I think where I'm like struggling to understand a bit as well, and probably a lot of people are in the same boat. Um, I did exactly what you were saying before I started um, with uh, meditating and I was given a mantra, which was, uh, transcendental meditation mantra and then I went to Amma and Amma said no out with that one in with this one and all that but I think you know for me there's so there's there's talking about this Kali mantra which is almost a song but not a song there's Kirtan which I'm going to ask you about in a minute anyway there's meditation where you might just 
do so hum, but I suppose you could do the Kali mantra, which is what you're doing, or you're doing the, the Shaka King mantra silently. And it sort of becomes confused about what's chanting, what's meditation, you know, what's the difference? Are they the same? Are they equally valuable? Should we be aspiring to one rather than the other? Or is it all good? Well, I think it's you know a great I mean? question. It's a really great question. And part of it is just semantics. And, you know, I struggled with this when, with the book is when I referred to chanting, for example, just because chanting is more traditionally correlated to a discussion around mantras. But most of the meditation practices that we do nowadays are mantra meditations. And so, you know, you could say that's silently chanting. And so the the terminology just becomes a little bit confusing um, just because of the way that it was traditionally said, you know, versus how we're using it um, now. But um, meditation, when you're using a mantra silently and like Soham is a mantra, and you could use this Kali mantra um, in silent meditation if you decide to do the, do so. But that is mantra meditation. Now, sometimes like in transcendental meditation, you're given a bija mantra, but just like the Kali mantra, it also has a bija mantra, but then it has the full mantra as well. And so it just kind of depends on, I think, you know, what works for you and what tradition, um, you know, you are uh, ascribed to. Like for me, transcendental meditation worked absolutely phenomenally for the majority of my life and then when I developed this um more devotional relationship with Amma that Om Namo Narayani just it took me to places that I think yeah. it would have taken me the rest of my life blew it out of the water it, it completely it changed everything and it felt like it, it almost changed everything overnight and so you know, that's a very rare and unusual experience when you have a charged, you know, mantra given to you like that. Um, but then, you know, when you look at doing um, Kirtan, again, it depends. Are you just listening to it? If you're singing it, you're basically just adding music, which also activates certain parts of the brain. And oftentimes the music is devotional in nature. And so that sense of devotion helps you to open up your heart. And so if you have difficulty in finding that devotional connection in your meditation practice, which is really, really, really important and something that most meditation teachers do not teach is, and I talk about it in the book, but there's a biology and there's a quantum physics to devotion that is absolutely necessary for controlling the mind. You know, the field effect of devotion is so critical for meditation, so critical. And that was a big part of what I learned with the chanting, um, the meditation of Om Namo Narayani was, oh, without the devotional aspect of it, you're barely getting 50% of the results. Um, so Kirtan is great for helping you to open you know, the heart. Um, and I had one um, enlightened saint, the way he described all of this, you know, of either doing kirtan and doing um, meditation in your mind and versus also like reading spiritual books. He said, all of it is like bathing kind of in a different way. Like you take a bath, you know, when you're taking a shower and then there's the type of cleansing you would get if you go outside and it's raining. And there's a different kind of cleansing you would get if you step into a river that each one has a cleansing effect, but in a different way. And one's not better than the other. You know, I, I still think the silent mantra meditation is the most important thing that you can do. Um, and that is based on 
my own experience, my own practice, but also based on the research. And again, looking at what is the ultimate goal of a mantra practice? The ultimate goal of a mantra practice is to transcend the mind, is to transcend all the noise of life and to enter into a space of silence. And, you know, from as, as a neurologist, I can't see how you could do that if you're making sound. Now, I'm not saying all of the other things can't deepen your silent mantra meditation. I think they can. But I think ultimately that is where you're going. And, you know, Amma has talked about this. Many, many um, enlightened saints have talked about that there's ultimately a point where the mantra drops, where the resonant frequency has taken hold on a cellular level where the sound is no longer necessary. So the goal is always to be united with that silence. And so I don't know how you can do that without a silent mantra meditation practice. Yeah, I think um, Deepak Chopra, who a lot of people will know of and and who's obviously ex-transcendental meditation himself, he talks about dropping into the void and I, I sort of, I've studied with people who studied with him, so I've kind of got the same teachings. I think they all studied with a Maharishi Yogi fellow in the 70s. And I know that they say that, um, you know, the idea is to, as you say, lose the mantra and to drop into the silence, um, which makes me wonder if when we're doing our daily chantings uh, with, with the Kali mantra, we should have five minutes of silence at the end where we're actually continuing to do the mantra just in our mind as opposed to just sitting there with the energy, which is what we've been doing. You could, but I think that mantra was really created for a different, you know, purpose. But I do think like okay. your your personal practice, um, which is why, why I, I do that um, chakra mantra first, because it allows me to get to that void state so much faster once I start to do the Om Namo Narayani. If I don't do the chakra mantra first, it takes so much longer And some of my most profound meditations have been literally, you know, just in complete silence. I didn't even know two hours went by, um, had no clue that I was meditating for that long. And then just kind of came out of it and was like, oh, where have I been? And I just felt completely, uh, you know, different. But the way that I got to those points was, you know, through mantra meditation until the mantra stops, the mantra drops. And then you're just in a place of, of total void. And the only reason you know so much time has gone by is because you can't move your legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I've just got one last question because we, we're almost out of time. But I wanted to ask, because a lot of people, when we go to Pedum, we get these in the various uh, parcels yeah. after we've been to a particular puja ceremony. And I was actually given this one by Natalie, I think probably 10 years ago. And I'm just wondering, um, I mean, this has got a beautiful Sri Yantra, Sri Chakra on it. Uh, and we see Amma chanting onto these, don't we, when she's going to consecrate a temple and then they go under the statue. But is there any power in kind of having these on our altar as we're chanting and it gets the vibe or something? You're laughing at me. <laughs> I'm laughing at you because this is such an unfair last question. Oh, what? <laughs> It's actually the next book that um, Amma has asked me to write is on the science of yantras. Um, That's the last question in that case. It's, it's a giant answer, but I'll do my best to try to okay. Amazing. make it as concise as, as, 
as possible without totally Beautiful. geeking out on you because there's actually so much geek out. <laughs> geek out. Okay. So if you look at mantras as vibrations, I'll thank you for doing that. So if you look at mantras as vibration or sound, um, you know, and then what what is then a yantra? So it's said, um, and we're starting to understand this even from a quantum physics standpoint, that sound can be turned into light, okay? And when sound is turned into light, it takes on a certain geometry. And so that geometry, when it's captured, when the geometry of a mantra is captured, what you have then is a yantra that fits a particular mantra. And so then what happens as you're starting to charge or chant um, uh, to yantra, they're usually made out of metal, typically copper, because why? Because metals have an ability to conduct, conduct yeah. energy, conduct sound. And so as you begin to do that, now the yantra actually has the geometry of that sound. And so as you're chanting, that geometry is literally charging or capturing that sound. And so eventually, and it depends for different people how long it's going to take, it depends on the, you know, what's the right word, on, on the, the ability of your um, yourself to be able to create that cosmic energy. For example, Amma can charge a yantra in six seconds. Um, for most people, it takes, you know, it can take 12 to 24 years for particular yantras to be charged. So wow. it just depends on Wait, someone said you have to do a chant 10,000 times or something. No, it depends on the person chanting. You can't ascribe a number. You can say for that the average human being, it takes a long time. Um, but, you know, for siddhas, they could charge a yantra immediately. Amma can charge yantra immediately. Uh, and so once you have that charged yantra, now it's like a little machine. It is generating that frequency on your behalf wherever you have placed it. And it's like an eternal loop, you know, it, it, it just gets charged over and over and over on its own. And that's the secret of yantras. And this is the last thing I'm going to leave you with um, because, you know, it's, it's very fascinating, but I, this, this will take a book to explain. The human nervous system is actually built as a yantra. And so ultimately when we're doing these mantras, we're eventually trying to charge the human nervous system and it has a very specific geometry at different areas on the spine and once those become charged that is when the mantra is no longer needed because now you're just conducting that um, cosmic current all of the time and that is one kind of description of the physical state of enlightenment wow <laughs> Amazing, I can't wait. So for everybody who's watching on Facebook, uh, when I put this up there, this is Corey's current book, which is called Sound Medicine, and it's brilliant, and I highly recommend it. I actually can highly recommend The Prime. Uh, it's an amazing book as well. I absolutely loved it. And that's more for people who want to lose weight, isn't it? Or to, to just kind of get into a slightly more Ayurvedic lifestyle with some very simple techniques and and powders and teas and so on and then the next book so have you started it or how many years do we have to wait I never know I always you know it's just like with this book I had no intention of of writing this book um it's pretty much when Amma says okay now start that's when you know I'll start but there's been a lot of information that's been coming to me about yantras that I've brought up 
you know, to, um, I'm really excited to start it. I, I can't wait. I'm geeking out big time because I go heavily into the relationship between sound and electromagnetic um, fields. And I'll tell you that a future Nobel Prize in medicine or physics or, or biology is going to be the person that figures out how to prove that sound is translated into electromagnetic waves, which is then translated into biochemistry. I already have an, I already have an experiment in mind. If I can, if I can pull it off, it's, it, it would revolutionize medicine. Whoever does that is going to revolutionize medicine. Okay. Well, we'll have to look forward to that. Corey, stay on the line for a minute because I want to ask you a question afterwards, but for everybody else, but to say that's the end of the formal questions here. Actually, I might just call you straight back on Zoom if that's okay. That's fantastic. Um, thank you so much. It's been an, a revelation. It's been brilliant. And um, I can't wait to listen to it again. I hope the recordings worked. And, uh, and I'll, I'll call you back in a minute. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Corey.